Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our second week of gathering online. Hopefully this week, uh, our online platform is working. Apparently, uh, Christians broke the internet last Sunday, and we all had to rush over to YouTube. But um, I was just amazed seeing how well you all responded and, and how present you were and, and excited you were to be together. And, you know, one of the things that I think we're experiencing right now is that we no longer take for granted the blessing that it is to gather together, to worship the Lord, um, to pour over the Holy Scriptures, to pray together, and to do the things that really show us to be the church. And even though we can't do that physically together in this space right now, uh, the fact that we get to do that digitally is such a blessing. So again, uh, just to orient you to this space, um, over on this side, there's, uh, you're going to see some notes. There's going to be an opportunity to read some scripture, and there's an online chat so that you guys can be commenting um, and sharing as we go through this process together. There's also an option if you want to receive prayer. And then up in the top right, um, there will be links for uh, everything we have for our kids to do, for the parents to walk them through the lesson for the week. Um, there's also an opportunity to give and then to go and find out um, all of our announcements and the pertinent links. So I'm going to pray uh, and we're going to step into worship. So Heavenly Father, uh, we ask your continual blessing upon this digital space. Lord, that you would continually be reclaiming um, the internet for the kingdom. That as we gather here, we're making a statement that this space belongs to you. And Lord, I pray that you would purge from us all distraction, um, all of the, the things that we're bringing in from this past week um, with guilt or regret or, or anxiety of the future, whatever it is, Lord, whatever we're feeling when it comes to our past, to our future, that we're able to bring it into this present moment. And as we worship you, even now, uh, you would be working within our stories, um, that you would be naming and identifying the things that you want to rise to the surface today so that we can continue to press deeper into you and that day by day, as we're engaging with you, we look more like you. Um, we feel more like you feel. We think like you think, um, and that we act the ways in which you have crafted us to act in being ambassadors of the kingdom. So bless us, Lord, as we bless you this morning. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Let's worship. Oh, praise Him, hallelujah. 
Again, welcome to City Beautiful Church Online. Um, I'm Daniel, I'm on staff with the church, and I'm just excited to have y'all uh, here together, um, but apart. <laughs> um, I'm going to give you a little bit of um, a, a look into the things that are happening in our community, uh, even though we're not meeting together. We're definitely present on the online space, as you can see at the moment. Um, and so a few things is uh, these buttons on the top that uh, that Ryan talked to you about, um, Connect, Giving, and Kids. So Connect is gonna take you to the weekly where all the things um, that are happening are. And then uh, Giving is obviously gonna take you to our giving page and then kids. So Brandy has um, put all of the lesson plans for um, for each Sunday, they'll be on that link. And so there's um, a worksheet in there, there's a lesson plan, there's a bunch of games on there. Um, she's included a bunch of things for uh, the families to stay connected um, and for y'all to fill an enormous amount of time. That, so the second button you're gonna see is a giving. We want to make it super easy for y'all to, to continue to stay faithful um, in your giving. Um, and speaking of, of staying faithful, uh, y'all did amazing last week with Benevolence. So Ryan uh, asked for people to give specifically to our fund um, where we're giving to other people. And that's that Benevolence Fund. And as of now, we've raised $7,700. And we raised uh, 5000 in three hours on Sunday, which is just like insane to me um and such a picture of the church showing up for its community um and so the call is to is to request if you um are someone who uh, has hit a financial hardship because of because of this or if you know anyone um you can send them this link citybeautiful.ch slash benevolence um, and you can also request it yourself um we don't want y'all to feel bad at all about requesting um, we have an amazing team that looks those over, um, that prays through the requests, and then um, and then takes action. And so we're able to pay bills um, and all kinds of things. So don't at all uh, hesitate to apply for that. We want to be present for the community. Um, yeah, because we're we're the church. Um, and yeah, you can find everything that's happening uh, on the weekly uh, if you connect that, or click that connect button. Uh, the first of that is is digital community groups. Uh, so we want to be uh, present for y'all, and so um, you can fill that out on on the weekly, and we'll connect you with someone who um, will get you into a a digital community group. Um, you can select what day of the week is best for you, um, and then we'll put one of our hosts in touch with you so um, that y'all can stay connected. It's um, a weird time, uh, but we want the church to be a place that is providing uh, spaces for real connection. And we believe that through those community groups, we can, we can begin to do that. The second thing is elder nominations. So just below that on the weekly, you'll see that um, we have a little space or it's a, a link that will take you to the page where we're nominating elders. Um, and so that's uh, that's on the weekly. Uh, you'll see it. And uh, we just want you all to, to join us in prayer and join us in action um, in nominating people. Anyone you feel that is a faithful presence to, to who we are as a church, um, nominate them. Um, yeah, don't don't second guess yourself. Uh, people are there's so many amazing people in our community, um, and I would love for them to be a part of this process. And so we want to invite you in. And so the deadline for that is Tuesday, uh, the end of the month, March 31st. Um, so get those in before then. And then speaking of elders, I'm gonna send it to two videos from our elders. Um, we want to just be able to share their perspective on this time, what they're praying for, what they're talking into um, on, on the community's behalf. Um, so you'll see those here. Hi, City Beautiful Church. We miss you guys. Thinking about you. Um, Greg and I just are wanting to share for a couple minutes just kind of where we are in this um, in this time, in this crazy time where we're not able to be together as a church, but we are connecting in so many other wonderful ways. Um, we've met as elders a couple times and have spent some really wonderful prayer time and, and just brainstorming and talking about how we can be connected to you and how we can serve you. And um, I'm really proud of our staff, of Ryan and Daniel and Brandy, and how they've been really intentional about thinking about you and praying over what God has for our community uniquely. Um, just in this time. And um, I'm 
my word is possibilities this year. So I'm just framing everything around that. <laughs> I've been thinking about just my family and um, just my spiritual journey and the spiritual journey of this world and the possibilities that can be. And um, so I just wanted to share that with you. My word is possibilities. I don't know what your word was this year, but maybe it's something that applies to right now, just like mm -hmm. mine does. Um, what is possible in this time? So anyway, I'm thinking about you and praying for you and... Um, I don't know. Just wanted to be able to share with you today. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, I mean, this literally is sort of a crazy, surreal time. Um, I was in Los Angeles for a couple weeks um, recently, and I was working, but also visiting our kids that were there. And, and I had a lot of time that I spent with the Lord, quiet, um, listening. And, you know, since I've been back since last Friday, and I've tried to figure out my work and what's going on, um, I've spent less time with the Lord, and I, I've seen my anxiousness grow, and, and Annie's like, I don't think you're spending as much time with the Lord as you were. <laughs> so it is such a, a true correlation, um, and so I would just encourage you to get quiet with the Lord and ask Him what mm -hmm. He has in this. Um, pray boldly about healing yeah. and change. So we love you all. Um, reach out to someone. Be with people as, as much as you can, you know, virtually and things. So Thinking about you. Yeah. Bye. Bye-bye. And now I am. Now you're recording? Okay. Point it straight at us. Keep mm -hmm. it straight. Hi, City Beautiful. Hi, guys. For Johnny Becky Thompson, Zachary, our five-year-old, is our videographer today. So we apologize <laughs> if it's not always at our faces. This is our third take. <laughs> Point it right at us, bud. If you see people walking in the window behind us, it's because we're getting our duct work fixed today so that we can have AC, which we know is pushing the limit of- Pushing the envelope a little bit on this being completely thing. isolated, right. quarantined. You gotta do what you gotta do to survive. So, supposed to stay here. So we wanna send our love and prayers to you guys and let you know that we're really praying hard for our community during this time. We know that it's a really difficult season. Um, looks different for a lot of you. Some people are just trying to figure out working from home and some of you have lost jobs. Watch it, bud. Um, and so we just wanna um, extend special love and blessings during this time and encourage you to continue being the church with one another um, as you see yeah. needs uh, in our community. Please continue to express needs that you have. Okay. <laughs> you want to say hi to the church? Hi church. I need to go poop. <laughs> Keeping it real. This is our life right now, City <laughs> Beautiful Church. We love you guys so much. Hello, everyone. Um, we are continuing today with this series that we've been in called Original Jesus, where we're looking at the story of Jesus as told through the Gospel of Luke, and we're asking these questions about maturity, not just so it can be inspired by what we see in Jesus, but also to receive the challenge that he calls for us to grow up. And it's through the working of the Holy Spirit within us um, that we become more and more like him, that Jesus is our template for what it means to be truly human. Um, and so this week, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. So I'm going to read um, this portion of scripture. I'm going to pray, and we're just going to jump right into what I really feel like the Lord has for us this week. So this is from Luke chapter 18, uh, and this is the translation that's uh, the New Testament for everyone. Jesus told them a parable about how they should always pray and not give up. There was once a judge in a certain town, he said, who didn't fear God and didn't have any respect for people. There was a widow in that town, and she came to him and said, Judge my case. Vindicate me against my enemy. For a long time he refused. But in the end, he said to himself, It's true that I don't fear God and don't have respect for people. But because this widow is causing me a lot of trouble, I will put her case right and vindicate her so that she doesn't end up coming and giving me a black eye. Well, said the master, did you hear what this unjust judge says? And don't you think that God will see justice done for his chosen ones who shout out to him day and night? Do you suppose he's deliberately delaying? Let me tell you, he will vindicate them very quickly. But when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for this time. We thank you for uh, the technology that enables us to continue to gather together as your people, your church, um, the body. 
uh, to connect with one another, uh, to worship with you in unison. God, I know that, you know, even now, maybe the novelty of everything that's been going on with staying at home and, and practicing, um, you know, all of these safety measures and, and reading the news and constantly receiving updates from government and friends and family, it's, it's, it's exhausting. And perhaps even the, the newness of it all, the, the potential excitement of it is beginning to wear away. And we're coming to you now feeling a little bit worn out. Um, a little bit stuck, maybe even a little bit hopeless. Um, but Lord, what better place to be found than gathering together with brothers and sisters, not just in our community, but around the world today, uh, to worship you, to seek your face, uh, to allow you to interpret us, to speak back over us who we really are, so that we can be reminded of the larger story that's at work. And so may the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this is a fascinating little parable of Jesus, and it actually fits, I think, so beautifully with what we've been talking about with maturity, um, but also how we meet this, this moment right here, uh, right now. As I said, even last week, this was not on the cards just a few weeks ago for how we would be doing church or what we'd be examining, but I do think it is still the work of the Spirit to speak to us in the deepest places, something that is eternally true but becomes so, um, so imminent and so important in this present moment. And this parable, of course, is one about prayer. Jesus says it right up at the beginning about how we should always be in prayer and not give up. So there's these two characters in uh, this little parable. We've got this judge, and then we've got this widow. And, and Jesus kind of, you know, kind of makes these caricatures uh, to really get home his point about prayer. The first thing is that this, the, the, here's this judge who isn't tremendously self-aware for being able to stand up to himself and say, it's true that I don't fear God and I don't have respect for people. So maybe even just there, um, we could be really honest with ourselves, you know, and kind of learn a little bit from the judge. But I don't think that's actually what's going going on here. Um, you have to remember that first century Palestine, um, there was no sacred arena of life and then secular. So there wasn't like going to church and doing religious things and then there's the government and the court system and it's inherently secular. They didn't have a separation of church and state. That the court's system was based on the religious system that the law that Jews were called to uphold was the religious law, the Torah. And so the criteria for being a judge in the first century was, does this person love God? And are they able to interpret the Torah, the law, to be able to make the kind of uh, determinations necessary for our community, our culture to thrive? And so it's very much based on a relationship with God and a deep love for God's people. So there's, there's kind of a dramatic irony that Jesus is portraying here by, by giving us an image of a judge who says to himself, I don't fear God and I don't have respect for people, yet he still chooses to act. And the second character in this story is uh, this widow. And so in, in the time of Jesus, again, you couldn't create a portrait of a more oppressed and desperate person than a widow. Um, she would have had no means of support, so she couldn't financially, um, you know, hire a lawyer to plead her case or, or have people that are on the front lines doing the work for her. She has to take this upon herself. And what's actually really fascinating in this time is that the testimony of, of women was not credible in the slightest. So women weren't called in to testify to court because it was automatically redundant. They had to have a man come in and argue on their behalf. We see this actually later on in the story of the resurrection, which we're going to be uh, celebrating somehow in a couple weeks. We'll see how that goes. Um, but that it's Mary Magdalene and the other Mary that run down uh, to find the empty tomb, and they bring this testimony back to the disciples. And most of the disciples don't believe them because you're not supposed to take as credible the testimony of a woman. Um, but it's Peter and John who believe these women and who run down uh, to witness the empty tomb. And it's a really powerful cultural shift that we see the, in the church being revolutionary that the, someone's gender is no longer determinative of how reliant their testimony is. So anyway, here Jesus paints this portrait of this woman who has no support structure, who's completely at risk, and she's persistent and pleading her own case. 
And the way that Jesus is doing it is that not that we're supposed to look at this judge and try to extract anything about, like, this is what the character of God is, but actually to make a contrast that we often find in Jewish writing to say, how much more? If this is what happens with this guy and how awful he is and he doesn't love God and he doesn't respect people, yet he still, because of her persistence, is going to vindicate her or rule that she is in the right, then how much more is God going to listen uh, to us? And so I want to look at the three elements of prayer that we find here in this story that perhaps can encourage us in our present time. You know, I think uh, these are the moments when prayer is most important. And I know it's like the most obvious churchy, pastory thing to say that we should be praying. Um, But a lot, sometimes we are weary of the call to prayer. Uh, First of all, because it feels like we're just placating. You know, the kind of thoughts and prayers go up anytime that there's a tragedy without any real movement to action on the other side. Um, But secondly, it really causes us to question, does God actually hear us when difficult things happen? Um, Where is he? And, and, And all of those questions, I think, are actually really valid. And I hope that as we're exploring um, the call to prayer today, we're going to be at least touching base on how we approach some of those questions. So the three things that I want to look at today are um, justice, persistence, and then the hope of vindication, uh, which is being in the right, being on the right side of history. Um, So first, uh, let's talk about justice, because justice is kind of the engine behind this whole story and the reason that the widow is as persistent as she really is. And justice arises from a deep awareness that things aren't the way they should be and that God has something better in store for us all. And justice is really hard to define. I think, you know, you ask 10 different people, you have 20 different opinions. But for Christians, when we talk about justice, what we are talking about is seeing the world put right, the way that God originally intended for the world to thrive, that we don't believe that the world is an inherently inherently neutral space that we can just kind of paint and shape the way that we like, but we believe that every atom molecule of existence has been created with an intention and a place and an order to it. And indeed, that because of sin and brokenness, the world has been radically shifted out of place on the subatomic level, that things are not the way that they should be. And so the whole project for God through Jesus, the church, and the Holy Spirit is to try to get all of creation back on track. But we can only really embrace an understanding of justice when we begin with the realization that things are not the way that they're supposed to be, and that that's not okay. And the problem is a lot of times we become so acclimated to the way things are right now that we become numb to the possibility of change and and, and actually towards hope that things can be better, that there's a better world out there, God's new world, God's vision for how creation can be brought back into accordance with its intended purposes. And we actually find this all through the Old Testament, that there is a prophetic cycle um, that says that we have to move from numbness to grief and then from grief to hope that at many points in Israel's history, they were a people group who were numb because the way the world was in that moment through oppression, whether it was from foreign principalities or even oppressive kings within Israel, um, the oppression told them, this is the way things are. This is your lot in life. You just have to accept it and move on. And what that actually created in uh, the people of Israel was a real spirit of numbness, of resignedness that this is just the way things are going to be. And when we engage with the prophets, um, especially towards the latter half of the story of the Old Testament, we find this very unique calling upon the prophets that they don't come in and offer some sort of blind optimism or try to make, uh, you know, to see on the sunny side of everything that's going on, but the prophets actually make a call to grieve and to mourn the reality that this is not the way the world was intended to be, and this is not the way that humans were intended uh, to live. 
And so we find all through the Old Testament, we find the book of Lamentations, we find uh, the, the prophet Jeremiah is a wonderful example for all of you uh, who, fans of the Enneagram. Jeremiah is 100% the patron saint of Enneagram 4s. Um, we find the book of Job, which is possibly the oldest book in Scripture, dealing with this question, what do we do with pain and suffering in life? We find that at least one-third of the Psalms, which is the, the, the worship hymnal, of Israel are, are psalms that were specifically written about lament, about expressing pain and suffering and confusion. And we find that all, through all of these, all of this grief, this collective process of mourning together that the world is not the way it should be, it's always directed at God. I think Lamentations is a wonderful example. So rarely, and I, I, I know I have not preached out of Lamentations maybe as much as I should, um, that many of us have not read it. We're not even aware that this is a book in the Bible. And the kind of backdrop is that Jerusalem has been absolutely destroyed um, by other empires, and the writer Jeremiah and others are kind of walking through the rubble of the city. And chapters 1 and 2 of Jeremiah are saying this is awful and, and everything's destroyed. This is completely hopeless. In chapter 3, the, the writer of this amazing poem starts to direct everything at God and say, like, look at all the things that you've done and all the pain that you've caused. You've broken my teeth with gravel. Everything's hopeless. And yet... And then there's a second shift in Jeremiah 3 where he kind of comes back to the Lord and he says those famous lines, your mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And you love us for a long time. And then in chapters 4 and 5, it shifts back as the person looks around at Jerusalem and says, never mind, everything's broken. This is hopeless. I don't know what we're going to do. And the book ends. And some of the Psalms are like that. Some of them they resolve at the end and some of them they don't. There's a big question mark at the end. And I think it's important for us to recognize that there is a biblical mandate and pattern for grieving because it's only grief that can release us from a sense of numbness or despair. And I think without healthy biblical grieving, our hearts become stone. And that's where we feel ourselves shutting down. And now maybe even you feel that way after a couple weeks, that you feel like you're, you're drying up, that you're not able to, to feel, you're not as sensitive to your own heart as you were before all of this. In fact, my brother uh, sent uh, our family an article um, that's been circulating around a lot, and it says that discomfort you feel, that's grief. And it's tremendously important now more than ever, that we learn how to grieve in a, in a heavenly, biblical way, that we stop telling ourselves that we're not allowed to feel these kinds of things because we have the victory of Jesus, because we have the Holy Spirit, because we have resurrection, and all we're really doing is burying those feelings of grief and loss that so many of us are experiencing. And as I was meditating on it this week, like why, why does our culture have such a hard time with grieving I realized that we have this fundamentally wrong perspective of reality. Um, several years ago, I had been in a meeting with somebody and it was, it was very difficult and frustrating and I was driving home on Robinson and I just kind of in my mind said, why can't we just be normal, healthy human beings? And I swear to you in that moment, the Lord said, why do you think normal and healthy are the same thing? And I realized that I actually have this blind spot, this presumption that normal and healthy are inherently the same thing. And therefore, anything that is unhealthy is abnormal and it's not meant to be part of the thing. And I think when I, I realized that we have this perception of normal life that does not include pain and suffering. And what that really tells me is that we have this idea of life that normal means that everything is in control and that pain and suffering by definition are things that are outside of our control. So we're always scrambling to get back to normal life. We're always looking to get rid of pain and suffering and the things that are out of our control, refusing to acknowledge them 
to get back to real life, normal life, the life that we were meant to live. And I think this is why there's an epidemic in our country of our inability to grieve and to mourn because we perceive pain and suffering as being something that we're not supposed to be experiencing. And indeed, indeed we find this in the American psyche that it's always onwards and upwards and we've got to continue to go and continue to move and achieve and accomplish and we cannot slow down to acknowledge pain and loss because that's going to cost us something. That's not what life is all about. It's somehow other than what we've been meant to live or what our destinies are, which is really to say we have to have control at all times and the things that we cannot have control of, we just choose to ignore. And this is why so many of us cling to a blind optimism and call it hope because we refuse to slow down and to listen to our own heart and to experience a real sense of loss. And I think this is why um, the wisdom of those Old Testament prophets was to meet a people who have been numbed by uh, their place in life and a, and, a, and a dire acceptance of the way things are to say, I'm going to teach you how to grieve. I'm going to teach you how to cry over your own story, that through that grieving, you can actually begin to hope again. And so for us, grieving reintegrates what is out of our control back into our lived-in experience so that we can open ourselves up to a genuine hope. In, in our era, more than ever, I think numbing is both a luxury and potentially new possibility for many of us as we're sitting in this lockdown existence not knowing what is coming next. The only difference between three weeks ago and now really is we had the luxury of numbing because it wasn't costing us anything. Because we could continue on with our lives because we had some semblance or illusion of control. But now that we are out of control, that we have to be at home, that we have to, um, to figure out what we're going to do with our lives, many of us having uncertainty about our jobs or, or our health or our family and our friends, it's very easy for us to choose into numbing patterns. I was talking to um, our dear friend Johnny who runs the Narcotics Anonymous group on Tuesdays and they were talking about how they had to shift to online meetings and how imperative it is for there to be a place of gathering for people who are recovering from addiction right now because loneliness is the num one of the number one driving factors of addiction and numbing and choosing not to, uh, to work within the deep pain that so many of us are experiencing but we bury it deep down inside. And I think we need now more than ever to be able to have the courage to look ourselves in the mirror and to say, can I allow myself to name the grief and the loss that I'm experienced? And then can I turn it into prayer? It's been a long journey for me and I'm still learning this to, to pause and to ask myself, how am I feeling right now? You know, it's the question that I is I professionally ask so many other people. Um, but I had noticed over a couple of years that as people turned that around on me, I didn't know how to answer that question. And I had to start learning how to take an inventory of my own heart. A good example of this, uh, years ago, my sophomore year of college, I actually had to get rushed to the ER because my body was shutting down. I broke out in hives all over the middle of my body and over my head, and it was disgusting. And they actually hooked me up to an IV, and they pumped steroids through my body just to calm my nervous system down. And I'm kind of lying on this bed shaking as this, this, um, you know, these steroids are working through my system. And eventually it worked and it cooled me down. And I was talking to the doctor afterwards. I said, what happened? Was this an allergy? Uh, did I eat something? And he said, no, you're really stressed. And I looked at him and I said, no, no, I'm fine. And he said, no, 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 you are really stressed. I said, I'm not, I feel okay. He said, you are so stressed out that your body is shutting down because you're not listening to your, your inner self. And I realized from that moment, it's so easy for me to disconnect my heart from the rest of my body, just to continue to do things and to go through the motions that my body literally had to tell me to stop. 
And that's just been a huge part of my journey of, of pausing and saying, how am I feeling? Listening to my own heart, listening to my body, taking time to write down the things that I'm feeling. But then the second thing, because I think that's a good exercise, but for those of us who follow Jesus, is to take those things and to actually turn them into prayer, to give them trajectory. That just like we see in the Old Testament, as, uh, as David and Jeremiah and, and, and all of these other writers are kind of shaking their fists at heaven, they're giving direction to their grief and their loss. They're being honest and they're throwing tantrums and they're, they're cursing God and they're cursing the day they were born and they're, they're really coming to terms with how terrible life is, but it has a trajectory. And I think that's the courage that's required in the place of grief. Not just to say, how am I feeling right now? But to say, God, what are you doing in this? What are you saying right now? How do you want to move in the reality of my life as it is today? Not the way that I would like it to be, not the way that I feel like I have to convince myself that it is in order to close off my own heart, but what are you actively doing now and where is it that you're taking me? And those are the questions then that give rise to true, genuine, heavenly justice. To say, God, what is your desire for me? What is your desire for this community? For, for my brothers and sisters in Christ, for my family and friends. What is your desire for this world? Give me a vision of what that's like because this is not okay because I feel it in the depths of who I am. I feel it in my bones. And only then can grief give rise to a sense of justice, which leads to the second uh, part, portion of, of this parable that we find in persistence. And persistence here is about praying unceasingly and not giving up. The call to persistence in prayer purges us of our need for instant gratification and control. And maturity is our ability to abide with Jesus in the confusing in-between. We're constantly fighting with being out of control. Again, that normal life is the life in which we are in control of ourselves, of our relationships, of our destiny. An abnormal life, the life that we, we cannot acknowledge, is the life of where we are out of control. But if now more than ever we're realizing how much of an illusion that really is, when things are going well, we don't have to examine um, that illusion of control. And that's where we have this, uh, this desire for instant gratification. Because many things in life, we can just have them in the moment. And we want to, we you know, because of technology, because of access to other people, because of access to products that we can consume, we have trained ourselves toward instant gratification, that whatever we need, we can get it right there in the moment. And if we don't get things within five minutes or five hours, we tend to throw tantrums because we feel like it's the universe owes it to us to meet our needs right then and there. When it comes to prayer, a lot of times this is how we do it. That maybe we have that sense of justice and we've articulated our grief, but we need God to show up and we need him to do it right now. And if God does not perform for me in the next five minutes, five hours, five months, maybe he's not real. Maybe this whole thing is a farce. And I think part of that being out of control feeling that we have is because we don't know what to do with the confusion of living in that in-between experience between where we started when we felt like everything was okay and then where we want to end, where we feel like God has shown up and he's done something amazing. And we, that, it's that in-between, that uncomfortability of living between two worlds that we don't know what to do with. And unfortunately, because we have created this parody of what normal life is supposed to be, when we find ourselves in the confusing in-between, we believe that somehow that is an exclusion from intimacy with God. That our confusion, our lack of understanding, our lack of answers so somehow means that we don't have faith or that God is not real and we have to iron out the wrinkles as much as possible in order to make sense and to retain control of the universe and how it's supposed to work. But again, we look at scripture and we find something dramatically different. That 
the confusion of life is not an exclusion to being able to connect with God, but actually becomes the fertile soil in which the most profound connections with God can happen. You know, I have this, uh, this tattoo on my arm here that, that some people are aware of and have asked about, and it says wrestle, but within the word wrestle, I love that in the English, the word rest is found right in the midst of the wrestling. And, and my, my reason behind this tattoo wasn't just to, to drive my parents crazy with my continually rebellious choices, uh, and I'm sure they're watching from France. Hi, mom and dad. Um, yes, I have tattoos. Um, but this idea that the word Israel the name for an entire people comes from this image of wrestling with God. But for Israel, uh, as opposed to some of us in the West, the wrestling is the place where you find, that's this substance of intimacy, working it out, having a tantrum, having uh, anger and grief and, and, and ex- all these experiences, all this joy, all this hope, all this loss, all this pain, all of it being directed towards God and working it out with Him in real time. And this is what we see time and again through the Scriptures. And this is meant to be our spiritual heritage as Christians, that we find both wrestling and rest in the times of confusion. It's through worship, it's through prayer that we're working it out. This is what I've talked about time and again with faith, that we often define faith by our comprehension of something. But what if faith is really just showing up? It's participating. It's those moments that we don't understand things and we don't have them in control, that our faith matters the most to us. Because we're saying, I'm, I'm here, and I'm still invested, and I will continue to worship, and I will continue to pray, and I will continue to lean in uh, to the family that God has given me in the church. And this actually becomes the substance of our faith rather than the opposite of our faith. Again, the, the dreaded word doubt, that if we have doubts or we're wrestling with anything, we don't have enough faith. But in fact, that can be the pathway to a deeper faith. You know, I I was thinking about stories that I could tell here, but I I just think about over the past several years, sitting with so many of you, bearing witness to what God is speaking to you, what He's doing in you, uh, weeping with you, laughing with you, and so many stories came to mind, and I realized the greatest examples of faith in our community were people who were tempted to give up on God when things became hard or when they didn't understand what was going on, or when they didn't feel like they had it within them to keep going. And it, and it wasn't an instant fix. It wasn't that all of a sudden God showed up and there was this powerful word. It was continuing to sit in those moments of uncertainty with open hands, um, but to continue to trust that God is far greater than what we can comprehend or control, and that those great stories of faith just within our community Uh, begin to shine through after days, weeks, months, even years of not knowing uh, what he's doing, that the greatest moves of God are often um, invisibly at work in our midst, and we can't really name them until we're able to look back and to say, ah, yes, now I can see the fingerprint of God all over this story, but in the moment, I wasn't aware and I didn't see it. I'm reading this uh, beautiful book from Henry Nouwen. It's his journals of his travels uh, through South America as he's trying to figure out his vocation. And he's talking about the, the place of prayer in positioning ourselves in the brokenness of the world. And he says, what is it, like when God looks down at the world, what does he see? And he said, he's in, in Jesus, he's in, in, in the body of Christ, he sees Jesus himself standing and interceding in the place of tears. And this is a beautiful quote. He says, Prayer is the ongoing cry of the incarnate Lord Jesus made manifest in his church to the loving of God. It is eternity in the midst of mortality. It is life among death. Hope in the midst of despair. True promise surrounded by lies. Prayer brings love alive among us. So let us pray unceasingly. And that unceasingly, it doesn't even necessarily mean that we pray with words, although I think there's a power to that, that, you know, our hearts and our souls follow our words quite often. But it's to be in a constant posture of recognizing that as Jesus hung between two worlds in order to reconcile them, that as 
people who are shaped like Jesus, we are too are called to stand in between heaven and earth. And that prayer becomes that posture of holding it together, of, of being the vehicle through which God reconciles the world unto himself. And I think that brings us to the third and final uh, understanding of prayer that we receive from this parable of Jesus, and that is vindication. That what the, the, the persist, the, that fueled by justice, the persistence of the widow was that she would be vindicated, that she would be found to be in the right, that the case would be pleaded um, and won in her favor, and that she could go home knowing that she had been justified in, by, in front of God. And that should be the driving motivation for all of us. Um, but it's hard. It's really hard for us to maintain that, that perspective, um, that true hopeful perspective. When I say hope, I'm not saying, gosh, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this, this confidence that we have that God will do what he says he has done through Jesus in reconciling the world to himself and making everything right. And so this is where I think there's the, the major key when we're speaking of maturity and talking about prayer, that mature faith takes the long view of hope while feeling fully the present reality as fuel for our prayers. Again, that we stand in the gap between an honest assessment of the world the way that it is today, and yet we have a hopeful vision of the way the world will be when God finishes what he started through Jesus on the cross 2,000 years ago. You know, today I've spoke a lot about despair. And for me, despair is that fear that tomorrow will be exactly like today. That nothing changes, that nothing will get better, and that we enter into survival mode at best. We also speak of anxiety. And anxiety is the fear that tomorrow isn't going to come. And it's important that we feel these feelings fully and yet recognize that our feelings are not equivalent to truth which you've heard me speak of many times is another epidemic in our modern society where what we feel is what is true and we operate out of that. That as Christians, we feel fully and honestly, but we don't get bogged down in despair and anxiety. We allow those things to be the fuel that leads us deeper into the presence of Jesus. And we see this patterned in the story of Jesus. And, and it's hard to believe in just a couple of weeks we're entering into Holy Week, the week that Jesus uh, triumphantly enters into Jerusalem and confronts the powers and principalities, is crucified, and then is resurrected on Easter. And in Luke 22, we have this little vignette to show what did this kind of mature faith look like in practice through the person of Jesus as he's preparing for what he knows is about uh, to take place with his crucifixion. And it reads like this. Jesus headed as usual for the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you won't come into trial. He then withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down to pray. Father, he said, if you wish it, please take this cup away from me. But it must be your will, not mine. An angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. By now, he was in agony, and he prayed very fervently, and his sweat became like clots of blood falling on the ground. Then he got up from praying and came to the disciples and found them asleep because of sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he said to them. Get up and pray so that you won't come into the trial. It's amazing that Jesus is not saying, Jesus, God, here's, Father, here are my feelings, and would you please take away my feelings? No, Jesus is in agony. His prayer is not about his feelings. He's reading his feelings to be honest before God, his Father, yet still submitting the whole press process to say, not my will and my desire, which would be to run away, which would be to numb, which would be to ignore these dark emotions, but your will be done wherever you take me. And it's amazing that there's an angel appears from heaven to strengthen Jesus in his prayer. And then the next verse says, now he was in agony and he prayed very fervently. So sometimes even the strengthening by God of you in those moments of despair means that you're going to continue to feel agony. But the fuel is there to keep you in a posture of praying unceasingly. 
And I think that that's so powerful. That should be, a, you know, a real wake-up call for many of us when we consider how it is that we pray. That as we pray out of our emotions, yet submitting to the will of God, God will give us the strength to endure beyond what we think that we can comprehend in the moment. And then to believe that eventually we will be vindicated by our faithfulness to God, just as Jesus was vindicated by his faithfulness. And we do not pray that things would return to normal. If there's anything that I know from my personal story, from studying history, nothing ever goes back to the way that it was. And that's not God's desire, that God is not going to save the world by making it just the way that it was. But what God does is that he births new worlds in the midst of old ones, that the old eventually gives way to the new, and we call this resurrection. And so when we talk about hope, when we talk about vindication, when we talk about what God is doing in the midst of the right now by giving us a sense of justice, by giving us persistence, is not that the things, things would go back to the way they were, because guess what? They never will. But that God is doing something new. And if we can believe in the process of resurrection to bring us through this season of this epidemic and whatever happens with our economy, with our culture and society, whatever happens around the world, here in Orlando, here in Lake Ivanhoe, here in our city, it won't be like the old thing. I promise you that. But it will be something new. And that's the hope to which we have been called. There is no going back to normal. Normal is an illusion, and it always has been. It's just been shown for what it is today. But can we live a life of real faithfulness, that we are so fully present in the moment that it actually leads us deeper into relationship with Jesus, and that our hope becomes more resolute because it's a hope that we've fought for? that we have been on our knees for, that we have waited with expectation beyond what makes sense and beyond even what seems reasonable, that within us this new world would be birthed um, so that we can be those ambassadors of hope for those around us. And so I'm going to lead us in some prayer, um, a few places of confession to kind of open us all up uh, to this recognition of how we've been, li- <clears throat> how we've been living. And then some prayers of intercession as we pray for real heavenly justice to be administered in our city, uh, in our nation, and around the world. So I want to encourage you just to take a posture of openness before the Lord, not to close yourself off. Again, God knows your heart more than you do yourself, but sometimes our physical posture, our body language speaks of being closed off, and it's harder for us to come to terms with what's deep inside of us. But just, I I, I wrote these prayers. I'm going to kind of lead us through these different moments and I'm going to leave some space uh, for you to be able to intercede or just to dialogue with the Lord as you uh, feel led. So let's pray. God of all comfort, we confess to you that we have buried our grief and in doing so, we've lost hope. Teach us how to mourn so that we might be lifted up into your loving embrace. So just take a moment and through the Spirit, ask yourself that question, what am I feeling right now? Where's the loss that I'm coming to terms with in this moment? Just confess that grief and that loss uh, to Jesus right now. We continue. God of all justice, we confess our numbness and despair that we've accepted things as they are without asking you for a vision of how they could be. Give us a vision for your redeemed new world that we might cry out for justice in our time. 
So in those things that you're grieving and those, those feelings of loss and despair that you have, now turn those prayers around towards God and just say, God, what do you have to say about this? What are you doing here? What is your desire? What is your will? Let's pray for justice. And we continue. God of all time, we confess our addiction to instant gratification and control. Teach us persistence that we may pray unceasingly as we stand in the gap between heaven and earth. Pray that God would strengthen you to continue to pray unceasingly. The final confession. God of all hope, we confess to you that by hiding from the confusion of the present moment, we've kept ourselves from holding on to hope. Teach us how to feel fully now so that we can be strengthened by your Holy Spirit for the work ahead. Let's take a moment and ask the Lord for a real sense of hope. Amen. I think it's important when we're getting ready to pray, to intercede on behalf of the world, that we're doing that in interior inventory with the Holy Spirit to kind of get ourselves in the right space, because then we have a better understanding of what it means uh, to pray for the world. And so now we're going to intercede. So God of this moment, we ask your blessing on all who are at the forefront of combating the coronavirus epidemic. For our government leaders, especially Donald, our president, Mike, our vice president. For our Congress, especially our governor or our um, senators, Rick and Marco. For our representative, Stephanie. We pray for our governor, Ron. We pray for our city mayor, Buddy. And we pray for our county mayor, Jerry. We pray for all hospital workers. Maybe we know them, maybe we don't, but the people that are stretched thin right now, doing what they can do um, to mitigate pain, to seek cures, uh, to take care of people that also happen to be in a place of, of sickness and, and ill health right now, give them strength. We pray for our community leaders, for pastors, for community organizers, for anybody who's in a position uh, to lead and to shepherd. God, we ask that you would grant all these people wisdom and perseverance. We pray for all the affected, for the sick and the dying, we pray for the lonely and the isolated. We pray for our children. And we pray for our elderly. We pray for those who have lost their jobs. We pray for all of us who are currently waiting in the confusing in-between.
O God, you have made of one blood all the peoples of the earth and sent your blessed Son to preach peace to those who are far off and to those who are near. Grant that people everywhere may seek after you and find you. Bring the nations into your fold. Pour out your Spirit upon all flesh and hasten the coming of your kingdom. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, thank you all for joining us uh, this morning. Um, two uh, points on prayer for this coming week. Uh, today at 2 o'clock, we're going to be hosting a Google Hangout. Anybody who wants to get on and just talk about prayer, as I was engaging with different people throughout the week, um, they were sharing things that they have learned or quotes from books or questions that they might have. And I want us to create a thriving space where we can really talk about prayer. So um, email me at ryan at citybeautiful.ch. Uh, text me, uh, hit me up on Slack, whatever it might be, and let's start that Google Hangout today at 2 o'clock. Um, and I'm also going to be issuing during the week some challenges throughout the week for prayer, and one of those is going to be for you to take the time to sit and to write your own psalm. And so I encourage you to become familiar with the way that David and others were writing these songs out of just brutal honesty, but also this hope and confession to God. Um, so may the peace of Christ uh, go with you this week, and we'll see you next week. Amen. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.